It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni with Jeremy Kate. Every year, millions of men, women, and children are trafficked in countries around the world, including the United States. It's estimated that human trafficking generates many billions of dollars of profit per year, second only to drug trafficking as the most profitable form of transactional crime. While this may seem like a problem only big cities experience, it has unfortunately found its way to South Central Pennsylvania. On today's show, we're going to speak with Executive Director Andrea Meredith from She's Somebody's Daughter, a 501c3 based out of Central PA with a mission to erase the lines of separation that isolate women who have been exploited or sexually abused. As January is recognized as National Slavery and Human Trafficking Awareness Month, this is a timely topic, and we're glad to have you on the show, Andrea. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us about She's Somebody's Daughter and what you're out there doing. Absolutely. Uh, We started in the year 2012 as an awareness initiative. Uh, We used billboards and a website to provide education for the public on what human trafficking looks like, uh, as you said, not just in other countries, but in the United States and our communities. And that's still very much at the heart of what we do at SSD. Um, And we've been able to expand those opportunities. So we're now going into high schools, junior high schools, providing assemblies and uh, prevention education to hopefully prevent teens from being uh, exploited, mm-hmm. those who are at risk for that. Uh, we also have been able to provide training opportunities for medical staff, law enforcement, and other civic organizations who come into contact with victims so that they're able to identify and move forward in the in the best ways to mm-hmm. support them. Um, and then just general awareness as often as we're asked and allowed to speak, Mm -hmm. Uh, we like to have this conversation and just continue to get the word out as to what trafficking looks like in our communities. Sure. What is the status of the problem in our area? It's hard to put a number to it, but it's much more prevalent than I think anyone wants to acknowledge and, Mm -hmm. uh, and realize. And honestly, even the more that I am a part of this organization and, and the fight against trafficking, the more I discover uh, is here. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I think I have a handle on the, the issue, there are still more layers to be uncovered. Sure. So when you're talking about raising awareness, um, there's probably a set of potential victims that you're talking to. What are their conditions? What kind of leads people into these areas where now they're a victim? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of people have a, a picture in their mind of what a human trafficking victim looks like, and uh, it may have been brought on by movies like Taken, and that's not the reason that I'm involved in this work is because of Taken, and really? it's actually fairly inaccurate. Oh, yeah, if only we had more Liam Neesons out right, there, right? Right, right. a lot of problems. <laughs> that would be great. Um, but the reality is it can be um, any anyone. It's not just one specific kind of uh, person. It's not specific to race or gender or uh, ethnicity, anything, mm-hmm. even socioeconomic lines. Um, Any time that there is a vulnerability, that vulnerability can be targeted and exploited. Um, so we often talk about in schools that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and uh, many are teen runaways, and so they're able to be targeted with um, 
a seemingly nice older guy mm-hmm. offering something, uh, a meal, place to stay, and then that turns into a very dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also seen where girls who come from great homes and get good grades are involved in sports and whatever else, um, but for whatever reason, there's some sort of low self-esteem there, and that can also be targeted uh, by a trafficker. And um, that may happen in a boyfriend-girlfriend type relationship where they're doting gifts and doting love and affection, and then that turns into an exploited relationship. Mm -hmm. I read that the average age was 12. Does that sound right? It is, yes. So that's a very dangerous time in a young person's life. Absolutely. Uh, They've got a lot of questions and there aren't a lot of answers readily available. So in speaking to students, you must speak to parents as well. We do, yes. And what is the central message you're getting to them? Our main focus with parents is engage. Right. (laughs) Just to be... Right, yeah. (laughs) Um, Just to be involved in your child's life and to be aware of what they're doing online Um, because that is a a very big venue of where traffickers meet up with um, teenagers especially and social media and just to know what your child is is up to, who they're talking to Mm -hmm. Um, and to to ask questions and when things are brought to the surface not to respond with judgment and punishment necessarily but um, to continue that conversation and seek to find out why maybe risky behaviors are happening or mm-hmm. why are they seeking that attention from that person they've never met. Is there a specific social media channel that you should name right now? Honestly, that changes so often and mm-hmm. um, any of them can be targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, privacy settings are obviously helpful but, and parental controls are helpful, but none of that's going to be foolproof. Well, right, yeah. Would you recommend to parents maybe that they push off that allowing kids into social media till they're a little older. I really would, yeah. What would you think would be a better age? 12 seems young to me. I agree. Um, I hate to put a line on it. I think it probably depends on the child and their maturity level. But um, honestly, if they're not driving a car, I don't see a need for them to be Mm -hmm. (laughs) on it. Right. Let's talk about the role of drugs and alcohol. Um, What role do they play? How significant is it? And once they're being victimized, it must be central, I would think. Yes, very much so. Um, There's a common misconception that uh, drugs are the reason women get into that industry, um, that if someone is prostituting herself, it's probably just for drugs. Um, Much more often, it's that drugs are used to coerce them into it, Um, So if they're in a relationship and either they're drugged unknowingly or um, it just, it becomes this addiction and now they're tied to that person Mm -hmm. and needing things from them. Um, And so it's much more a coercion and than it is a a reason Mm -hmm. that draws them into it. Um, And if it's not a coercion, I've heard from many that I work with in that industry that you can't do that job sober. Um, right. As you can imagine. you got to anesthetize yourself. Absolutely. And um, there's a lot of dissociating that happens and a lot of numbing that happens in mm-hmm. order to just survive mm-hmm. in that industry. What would you recommend that someone would do if they suspect that they know a victim? I would recommend calling the National Human Trafficking Hotline, um, and that's run by Polaris Project. It's one 888 Um, And they are 
trained to intake all of that information. And even if you don't feel like you have enough information, um, they can keep it on file. And if somebody else would see something and report, uh, they can move forward. And they have locally trained law enforcement everywhere to deal with that. Why don't you give out your website uh, now as well? Sure thing. It's she's somebody's daughter.org. Uh, there's no apostrophes and somebody's is B-O-D-Y-S. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Uh, let's talk about the victimizers, um, the people that are out there. I mean, can you describe their makeup? That's another, uh, it hits all kinds. <laughs> um, and I think there's another misconception that it's only men, um, and that's not true. Uh, we have met about half and half, I would say. Really? Of, yeah. Uh, females and males who are on the victimizing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if we're talking about buying, that's 99% men. Right. Um, but those who are exploiting um, from the selling standpoint, it's about half and half. Interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. I just assume men are doing all the evil in the world. So, <laughs> so your organization has a, an arm called the uh, Beautiful Exchange. Yes. Now, what I find interesting here is that it's not just about raising awareness for you, but it's also about kind of redirecting people back into society. So talk about that and some of the programs you have associated there. Sure. Um, about a year after we launched our awareness campaign... Uh, we had a billboard go up in a sort of a mini red light district, and uh, here in northern north of here. Um, I don't okay. want to give the location, but okay. um, and we got some pushback on that that we were uh, attacking those that were in that industry in that area, and that wasn't our intent at all. Right. And so, because of that, we sought to seek relationship and build, um, get to know those who were inside the the industry um and so we showed up with gifts and a meal and just asked the owner of that particular establishment can we just come in and get to know the women who work here and the door was opened and so we've been there for about five or six years now um and we visit now on average about seven locations every month uh, twice a month just to build relationships with Mm. women who are affected by exploitation now, that's interesting. I read a statistic that 90% of victims are groomed and unaware that they're even victims. That's true. So it sounds like in this situation, these women may be pushing back, thinking, hey, they're taking care of me. You know, I'm making a little money, mm-hmm. what have you, not even realizing they're being fully exploited. That's true. And um, we never want to take away that perception of choice or mm-hmm. that, you know, we're not looking to disempower and, and victimize somebody by telling them they're a victim. Um, so all we do is get to know those who are inside, no matter their story of how they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they're ready, 96% of women in that industry want to leave, but don't see a way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a Department of Labor statistic. Um, and so when they're ready and when they've trusted us, got to know us enough to trust us, then we are able to provide support to take those steps. And that's what our beautiful exchange has become a support system. And I imagine that the lives that lead you to these places, trust becomes a very big issue. Correct. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. And so how do you kind of know when the individual is ready to kind of come on board and maybe leave that behind? Uh, just listening to them. And uh, as they disclose that, as they share, um, a lot of times it will start with, 
negative comments about the industry um, that we don't always hear. Uh, but once they're starting to get ready, they'll start to express some distaste for what they're doing. And, um, and then from there, it, it grows into maybe I'd like to try something else. Interesting. Yeah. I read about immigrant populations mm. and being more susceptible due to language barriers, maybe, or immigration status. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something you encounter? We, in the locations that we visit and do outreach in, we don't encounter that as much. Mm-hmm. We do some, mm-hmm. um, but I would say that just like any other vulnerability, when there's a language vulnerability, mm-hmm. that can be targeted and exploited. Now, is our proximity to 81 probably going to feed the problem exponentially? Yes and no. Um, trafficking doesn't necessarily mean transportation, uh, transporting a victim from one to one place to another. And um, many of the women that we know, their stories involve family members, trusted adults in their own community. And so it wasn't... Exploiting them. Correct. So not necessarily that they were taken and um, abducted and taken somewhere else, but just right in their own community in the surface. Interesting and sad. Is that driven by poverty or drug addiction or... What, what is that driven by? Because it's, it's, you know, very dangerous. You're endangering a family member. Mm-hmm. You're doing something highly illegal. Mm-hmm. I would think the motivations behind it would be dark as well. Um, yes, motivations are either dark and or um, it's a, often a generational thing. So it could be that they experience that as a child themselves. Mm-hmm. So they just continue that cycle. Right. right. Law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You work with law enforcement. You must work with law enforcement we directly. Do. We uh, do. Talk about that partnership and what's happening there. We do partner with law enforcement. Um, we talk about capital T trafficking and general exploitation. And so, as you mentioned, many don't identify as victims, and so it's hard to report something when mm-hmm. they're not realizing that there is something to report. Mm-hmm. Um, when they reach that point, if they are willing and ready, then we work with them and and walk through that process, another long, slow process. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But we don't force that. Um, If we come across an underage situation, then we definitely, obviously, report Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Let me jump in for a minute. Sure. uh, In April last year, I guess it was, the FOSTA law was signed Mm -hmm. in. Um, Have you seen any kind of changes uh, with that law, positive or negative, either way? Because you read kind of mixed right. things about it. Right. So you could touch on that. Yeah. Good to know. Um, we have seen that it used to be very accessible online, and um, now that's it's just changing landscape-wise as far as pornography is still very accessible, but um, prostitution, there was a website that was shut down through all of that. Um, and that made it harder for us to find <laughs> those as well. Now oh, that's an interesting um, bad side effect. <laughs> right, right. Um, but it was a, a huge win as far as recognizing mm-hmm. the issue. And so um, we celebrate that. There is some pushback from those who are still under the narrative that this is a, a sexually liberating and empowering yeah. industry. And let me guess, um, those are men saying that. Mostly, yes. <laughs> well, one yes. thing that I have read about it is that... Um, for workers in the industry, um, they've been able to use th- those websites in order to screen clients, and it's kind of put them in more danger uh, because they're not, they don't have that ability as, mm-hmm. as easily anymore. Right. So. Um, I've heard different 
perspectives from those in the industry um, because some would rather screen face-to-face. And so if it's somebody who's pulled up in a car, you can get a vibe, um, but it might be harder to do so um, online. But obviously, if they're right there in the car, then you're already physically in proximity. If they decide to do something bad. Right. Well, the law was obviously well intended. It's just right. a matter of <laughs> how it's how playing it's out. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, good intentions. Um, does this make any argument for legalizing prostitution so that it can be regulated? Mm-hmm. That is a. I love having that conversation. <laughs> there are countries who have done that mm-hmm. um, in the hopes of making it safer for uh, the women, and they'll have. Um, even unions for sex workers mm-hmm. and um, supposedly it's regulated that you know that must use protection and mm-hmm. and all of this um, but years after those laws have changed in in the countries that have done that um, it's been found that the exact opposite is true uh, that the only people coming to the sex worker union meetings are pimps and that um, it's actually created a more competitive environment Mm. and so women are being expected to push boundaries even more Um, was this in holland um germany 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 did this and i'm blanking on the other do you know about how long they ran the experiment before this result came out not off the top of my head it kind of doesn't surprise me though yeah but the the u.s we are different and you know i don't know the prostitution is ever going to be legalized Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. but it does seem like it you know it's just the wild west out there Mm. And I'm, that's a terrible analogy, but it's just unsafe, yeah. let's just say. Yeah. And any way we can make it safer um, seems like it should be explored. Yeah, I, I would agree, <laughs> except that that hasn't, hasn't really seemed no to be No one's effective. having that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I read that the experience can cause so much psychological and physical damage that uh, once a person is in recovery, they can have a life expectancy of only up to about seven years. Mm-hmm. Is that something you've experienced? Yeah. Um, the mortality rate for someone in prostitution is 200 times greater than someone not wow. in prostitution. And um, I believe it's around 60% experience PTSD to the same level as someone who served in combat. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a very, very dangerous and traumatizing mm-hmm. uh, industry. And so in, in, in the rehabilitation process, I noticed that there's a religious element. Um, Let's talk about that. Okay. I mean, do, is there sometimes pushback? People maybe don't want to be preached to, or how does that go? Yeah. Um, we are a faith-based organization, but we don't force that on anyone who we provide support to. Right. Um, we offer things such as Bible studies or, or that kind of connection, mm-hmm. um, but we don't close our doors to anyone who's not interested in that, and we, we're very careful not to, I would say, preach at or not to push it um, because we... We care about that individual, and we don't want to put walls between us. Um, so, yeah, we try not to let that become a barrier, but it's there as an offering. Mm-hmm. And those are uh, those organizations are probably supporting you to an extent, I would think. Some of the local churches. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are funded very much through church support mm-hmm. and individual support as well. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Mothers and children. Um, do you find that some of these sex workers have kids? Many do. Mm -hmm. And that must complicate the issue exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those in the industry are single moms working to provide for their children. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen the most common times that a woman, 
who's left the industry, if she returns, it's often at back to school or Christmas um, in order to provide. And so those are two times that we do some extra things to try to support those who have left. Um, but yeah, very many do have children. Is there anything you think can be done legislatively to go to Harrisburg and say, hey, look, this degrades the community. Right. This degrades humanity. Right. Let's do something. Yeah. Um, I do think changing laws is a, a, a second piece. We work to change the narrative and, and expand awareness. And um, there are organizations who focus on the legislative aspect, and that's very important because without that, there's no legal arm to enforce um, the end of exploitation. And I think that would be an easy one for legislators to get behind. Right. You know, we're just talking about human rights right. here in this case. Yeah. And human dignity. Right. It seems like that this is a cycle. And <laughs> as long as, you know, there's dollars out there moving towards it, Correct. it's not going to change. So in light of that, I mean, what's your worldview? I mean, what are you looking to do? Just minimize, reduce, or what is it? You know, I just read a biography on William Wilberforce, who was the abolitionist in UK. And so that gave me hope to think that we can make some macro change mm -hmm. and to really see this come to an end. Um, I would like to see it become much more, it is illegal to purchase sex, but the women who are being prostituted, they get much more time than someone who's buying Really? Yeah. Well, that's a society run by men. Absolutely. Right there. Absolutely. In the rehabilitation process, um, how important is rebuilding self-esteem and a sense mm -hmm. of self-worth? Yeah, we speak a lot into identity, and um, part of our beautiful exchange is providing opportunities to explore other skills and to um, just acknowledge that you have a lot to offer and mm -hmm. you're talented. Now, are you sometimes working against decades of people who have been beaten down? Many times. Yeah. So that's got to be kind of an ongoing sure. effort. Like sure. It's just not one counseling session, Correct. off you go. Correct. Let's go back to, um, for any parents listening, you know, obviously watch the social media. Mm -hmm. Are there other signs that they can, you know, kind of, you can make them aware of to see if that child is going down the wrong path? Yeah. Um, I would say not wanting to make this a black and white thing, but um, oftentimes if a young woman has gone from not being promiscuous to being promiscuous in a short amount of time, there's a good chance that there's been some exploitation there. Um, so just asking questions and, again, not meeting that behavior with judgment or um, anything like that. The other thing I would strongly urge is if your child does disclose any form of abuse, to believe them and to act immediately mm -hmm. on that because um, we have seen where they finally got the courage to say um, this happened at so-and-so's house or whatever and then they weren't believed and so then that just leads down the path of well I might as well not even try to right no one's listening this correct some of the women that you've worked with um, when they look around at society I mean what do they see? I mean, do they feel like they can fit in that, or they should remain a victim? Mm -hmm. Or I'm just trying to get into the head of someone who has no faith in themselves or no mm -hmm. belief in themselves and allows them to be victimized. Mm -hmm. I hate to, to give too much of a blanket statement, um, but I can share what some have shared with us mm -hmm. as their experience. 
Um, one woman in particular, and this was very eye-opening for me, described um, those not in that industry as daywalkers and that she didn't know how to interact with daywalkers um, or that if she would go to the grocery store during the day, she was certain everyone knew what she did for a living, Um, even though there's no reason that you would, but she just was certain um, that there was like a a sign. Um, So I, I think there is some element of how do we relate to those not in this It's industry. almost like they're self-stigmatizing. Mm-hmm. We don't know what they do or mm-hmm. who they are, yet they carry that around within themselves. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, daywalkers. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was afraid you might answer, mm-hmm. that they, they feel separate from society mm-hmm. and maybe undeserving of what other people have. Right, and that's why our mission is erasing those lines mm-hmm. of separation because we all have the same amount of dignity and... Uh, we hate to see someone self-stigmatize or be stigmatized um, by anyone else. And so our, our hope is just to affirm that dignity that's already there and to build relationships and erase, erase those lines. Do you have some success stories? Do you, do you have situations where you see your impact work? Thankfully, yes. Um, we, I would not say we're rescuers. Um, but we get to support steps by awesome, strong, amazing women. And we have seen quite a few leave the industry and um, are, who are doing really well for themselves and their children, and it's been encouraging. Is there a recidivism rate that you're aware of? It's very much like domestic violence, um, where mm. it takes an average of seven times to leave um, for good. I don't know that we've seen seven times per se, but we definitely have seen some in and out until the final door closed. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that there are some success stories and you're making an impact. I, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for um, having me. Uh, Jeremy and I both admire what you're doing. Thanks. Um, it's unfortunate that those services are needed, but um, I know there's a lot of lives are being changed by the work you're doing. So thank you for that. Um, before we sign off, if you could give out your contact info and your website again to okay. anyone who might need to reach out. Sure. Uh, our website is found at she'ssomebodysdaughter.org. And I can be reached at Andrea at she'ssomebodysdaughter.org or our phone number is 717-422-2488. Okay. Thank you very much, Andrea. Thank you. Pleasure speaking with you. You too.